Alright, so we are back in Acts 16. It's been a while since we've been in Acts. We went over a, a brief review last week of the first 15 chapters. Um, really quickly, what are some of the main themes that we saw in the first 15 chapters of Acts so far? Alright, the church was born. See the fellowship of the saints. What else? And Pentecost, all right, all that's in, in chapter 2. That's when the Holy Spirit was poured out, they spoke in tongues, and yeah, ascension in chapter 1. And then what happened to the church? Yeah, it exploded. Uh, they had numbers that were added to them day by day and turned into multiplication and multiplied uh, 3,000 one day, and 5,000 just kept exploding, like you said. Um, and all this in the midst of persecution. We see persecution going on throughout first seven, eight chapters. We see focusing on Peter. And we see Paul for a minute in chapter nine. Back to Peter. And then what takes place in chapters 13 and 14 with Paul? You can peek in your Bibles. It's okay. That's allowed. I'll permit it. Paul and Barnabas what? Yeah, they're sent out by the church at Antioch, right? And they go on their first missionary journey. Um, and then we get to chapter 15, and that's where we have the, the Council of Jerusalem. We talked about that quite a bit last week. And then towards the end of chapter 15... There was something kind of important that took place. Last uh, little pericope there, uh, six or seven verses. What happens there? Yeah. They got in a little feud, right? A little dispute because Paul didn't want to take Mark, John Mark, but Barnabas wanted to take him. And the good thing that came out of that is we had two missionary couples, right? Two missionary groups. Barnabas went with Paul and Erwin. Uh, John Mark, and who did Paul take with him? Silas. Silas. All right. And that is more or less where we're going to pick up in chapter 16. Um, 1540 says, But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And so we see there at the end of 15 that he was doing what? What was their, their mission? Strengthening the churches. And so I want to highlight that as we look into chapter 16 and in the second and third missionary journeys, realizing that they're not just going out and trying to find new converts while they're doing that, um, trying to make new converts and going to people who haven't heard the truth, but really they're focusing on going back and strengthening these churches and revisiting the people that they've already been ministering to. So... Will somebody read the first five verses of chapter 16 for us? Thank you, Joseph. And he came also to Derby and to Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him and to him. 
says that the Jews that they all knew that his father was weak. Now while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders, who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing the number of days. All right, thank you. So right there at the end, we see again the churches are increasing in number, uh, exploding, as Jerry would say, right? Um, back in verse 1 of chapter 16, we see that they came to Derby and Lystra. And again, I just want to point out, they had already been there. Um, they went there on their first missionary journey. So look back in chapter 14, verse 6. And this is, again, on the first missionary journey. It said that they became aware of um, the, the persecution, and they fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, and Derby, and the surrounding regions. And then it goes on to talk about their ministry in, in those cities, in Lystra and Derby. And so they had already been there. They had um, believers that were there, converts, that they were going back, and they were strengthening those believers as they went on. In chapter 15, verse 36, uh, says the same thing. It says, after some days, so this is after the Jerusalem council, they got everything settled. Silas um, joined with Paul and... Um, well, Silas actually had stayed in uh, Antioch, but in verse 36 says, After some days Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. And so that was right before the split. And so Paul and Barnabas, they wanted to go back and revisit these churches and disciple these churches and um, strengthen and, and see these churches really grow and develop. And then that split took place. So ultimately it was Paul and Silas who ended up going and doing this. But that was the purpose even before they set out. Um, one of discipleship and character development growth within the, the body rather than just purely evangelistic and, and reaching out. And then in verse 1 we also see uh, Timothy pop up. So they don't. Have, Paul's not traveling with Barnabas and and Mark like they had originally thought he kind of replaced Barnabas with Silas and about to replace Mark with with Timothy so again we have these two different groups um, seems kind of negative because there was a division but uh, the gospel's going out twice as much and so Timothy comes on the scene sort of as a replacement for Mark and what are some things that we we know about Timothy that we learn about Timothy even in this verse. His mom is a Jew. His dad's a Greek. All right. Yeah. So Timothy was a cross-cultural guy, right? <clears throat> so you said that mom was a Jew and dad was a Greek. What else do we know about him? Anything else we know about Timothy? He's warned that I think it's more two where it says that they thought possibly when Timothy was even younger, when Paul came through the first time, that I don't think there's anything specifically that says that it says there's a good chance because of his mother may have gotten her some stuff going on 
from Paul during the first time we went through that being. Yeah, so a lot of people think that he was a disciple of Paul just because of how he's mentioned in 1 Timothy. Um, so 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, Paul is writing to Timothy in both these letters, 1st and 2nd Timothy. And he says, To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, Britt, Nat's calling me. Um, yep. <laughs> My kids are with grandparents right now, and they're out camping, so she usually doesn't call me. Um, so, yeah, you just look at that, and you take it at face value, and a lot of people think, okay, well, that must mean that he is uh, Paul's uh, disciple in the faith, that Paul led him to Christ. But um, I think if we look over a little bit more in Second Timothy, let's turn there real quick, Second Timothy chapter 1. Let's look at the first five verses of Second Timothy. So we looked at how he he grew up cross culturally, right? His mom was a Jew, dad was a Greek. Um, we're gonna. What was that? Yeah, but she was of of Jewish background, Jewish descent. So she was a a God fearing woman, and then yes, <laughs> so was Jesus. Um, but that has an effect on his ministry and his ability to, to relate. So it really is an advantage to Paul in going into the, the different cultures. Um, he was being an apostle to the Gentiles, but he was also coming across many Jews. And the first place that they go in any city was to the synagogue. So having Timothy, who was had this cross-cultural background, really is uh, an advantage to Paul. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son. So again, we see that phrase, um, same one we saw in 1 Timothy. And it's not a, a common greeting, it's a unique phrase that really shows his, his love and his affection for Timothy. Um, they have a, a special bond. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am sure that it is within you as well. So mom, we find out here, is named Eunice. And my marker is nine. (laughs) But um, Eunice is mom, and even before that, grandma is Lois. And what did we learn in that verse, verse 5 of 2 Timothy 1, about Lois and, and Eunice? Yeah. yeah, the the faith first dwelt in them, right? And so it's it's believed that um, these guys were actually led to the Lord by Paul and his ministry. So he came in his first time through on his first missionary journey. He met Lois and Eunice um, and led them to the Lord. And so yeah, they were Jewish culturally, but they had embraced Christ. They had known Him as as Lord, and then pass that faith on to Timothy as well. At the end of verse 5 it says, I am sure that is the it, that is the, the saving faith, is in you as well. 
So uh, Timothy was led to the Lord by his his mom and his grandma, and um, Paul here is affirming his his faith that he sees light within. Any other thoughts on that? All right, and we saw that he is of good repute, too. Um, that's a, a phrase we see in First Timothy when Paul is writing to Timothy and telling him uh, about the requirements for elders. In First Timothy 3, 1, it says, It is a trustworthy statement if any man aspires to office of overseers, find work that he desires to do. An overseer, then, must be above reproach. Um, and it seems like Timothy himself would fit that bill, that he was above reproach. Um, he was of good repute, good character. Nothing that, that anybody threw at him would be able to stick. I mean, people can, can throw accusations around all day long, but Timothy was a man of character, and it was understood that he had a good reputation. Um, looking down in verse 7 of that same chapter, 1 Timothy 3, 7, um, talking about requirements for elders again. He must have a good reputation with those outside of the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. And so, once again, it seems as if Timothy himself fits the bill and is himself qualified to be an elder. And that's why Paul is writing to him and telling him to establish elders. Do you guys remember or know where it is that he was to establish these elders? Look back in 1 Timothy chapter 1, near the beginning, verse 3. In Ephesus, yeah. As Paul talking about his departure from, from Macedonia. Um, so it's 3, 1, 2, and 7. Talk about the desire or the need, so desire and the need for a good reputation. And then um, chapter 1, verse 3 talks about how he was a pastor in Ephesus. And most people think that Timothy was rather young when Paul first met him, that he could have been a teenager um, or in his younger 20s. And so here in 1 Timothy, probably 30 years old looking at his first pastorate that um, he was he was left with from Paul himself. So I'll go ahead and read that verse. First Timothy 1.3 says, As I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus, so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. So he was left there to pastor that church in Ephesus. Ephesus is a church that, that Paul loved. He spent a lot of time there and um, it was probably his, his favorite church plant. And so he left his, his favorite protege, Timothy, to care for one of his favorite churches in Ephesus. And what did he tell him to do in that verse? We need to stop eating before Bible study, huh? <laughs> yeah, to to watch out for, for these men who are teaching false doctrines. Um so, yeah, Paul, Paul knew that there was false teaching going around. He was concerned for that church, and he left this massive 
um, job for Timothy to protect the church from those who were teaching false doctrine. All right, let's look back in Acts chapter 16. So Timothy was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well known by all the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. So again, he had a good reputation, not just in Lystra, but Iconium too. They're like sister cities. Um, I didn't look up the distance, but I'm sure it's Pace and Sanaquin type thing, right? Um, right there. And he had a good reputation in both of them. He wasn't just a homebody staying in, in Lystra, but he, he got out and he had a good reputation in both cities. Verse 3. Paul wanted this man, that is Timothy, to go with him. And he took him and he circumcised him. Now remember back in chapter 15, what did the church decide about circumcision? Yeah, they... Yeah, remember they, they all spoke pretty much. They all got together. They brought all the, uh, the apostles and the elders together. Paul and Barnabas told their stories about how um, they had seen God work among the Gentiles. Peter talked about how he had this vision of Cornelius, and it's okay, take and eat, Peter, right? Um, what God has made clean, don't call unclean. And then James got up and he gave the final word. And he said, no, they don't need to be circumcised. Just tell them to keep away from these few things so they don't make the Jewish people stumble. But you don't have to, to be circumcised. Um, don't let that be a stumbling block for you. But then here, the very next chapter, after um, they decide, well, let's go back to these churches, Paul takes and circumcises Timothy. It's a little bit unique, right? Kind of strange that he would do something like that right after um, having decided, we're not going to do that. That's not necessary. And so, would that be so that he'd have an understanding of the Jews that he might be dealing with, as well as the Gentiles? Timothy? Well, what do you think? How would that give him a, a better standing, do you think? Well, I don't know, because they had, you know, your Judaizers and stuff like that, I think they had that feeling, you know, that those were the requirements, and that's the only thing I can think of, is just that maybe, maybe, maybe he thought it was going to be easier when Paul went out with Timothy, you know, something, something to do with the Jews. I wasn't sure why, but exactly how that would fit in. I wonder if it was because... Maybe they said they wouldn't even listen to him unless he was circumcised. Yeah? Well, let me read this passage to you out of Galatians chapter 2. Remember, Galatians was written before this happened. Uh, and this is what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. This is in reference to Titus. It says, But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. So how come he wouldn't circumcise Timothy, or Titus rather, but he's circumcising Timothy here in Acts chapter 16? Rex and uh, Joseph, you said maybe because of the Jews and their ability to listen. Any other thoughts or opinions? 
Yeah, yeah, must have been great. <laughs> yeah, he was a grown man. I know what it was like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> because of this, probably because of the strong Jewish background and his grandmother, his mother's grandmother, even because his dad was a living at this time, and most of his influences came from the Jewish sector. Yeah. Yeah, looking back in, in Galatians, where he wouldn't circumcise Titus, it says, though he was a Greek. So Titus was a Greek, and Paul wasn't going to circumcise him. And remember there, he also had these these Judaizers coming in trying to pressure him and saying, no, he needs to be circumcised for, for salvation's sake. You need to do it. And Paul says, no, I'm, I'm not going to cave on that. That has nothing to do with salvation. Um, he's, he's a Greek. He doesn't need to become a Jew first so he can become a Christian. That's not the way to Jesus, right? The way to Jesus is faith alone and, and grace alone. Um, well, could it be the fact that with... Paul leaving the young Timothy there, if he was circumcised, and they, they knew the Jews there knew that his dad was Greek, his mom was, was Jewish and stuff. It, it, it maybe it's a little forethought thinking that maybe this will eliminate some of the problems that could arise between the, the false teachers and the Jews causing trouble for this young Timothy. Yeah, this is, this is before he left him in Ephesus, so um, I probably should have made that clear when we jumped to that, that passage in 1 Timothy. So this, when he was a pastor in Ephesus, this was later after his ministry with Paul and Silas. So right here in chapter 16, he's just picking them up and uh, he says in verse 2 or verse 3 that Paul wanted this man to go with him. So he came across Timothy and he's like, man, this guy, he can, he can be a benefit to the ministry. He has, like you said, Jerry, he has this Jewish background, but he also has a, a Greek background. He can really be a benefit. And so because he had this cross-cultural background, because mom was a Jew and grandma was a Jew, and it says in verse 2 that he was well-known in both Lystra and Iconium. Everybody knew his, his background. And so they knew, okay, well, he's, he's a Jew. Maybe he, he discounted his Judaism and he's embracing something else. Um, and also he wouldn't have been allowed into the synagogues if he wasn't circumcised. And once again, that was one of Paul's first places to go to try to find people to, to evangelize. They would go to the synagogue whenever they came into a city, and they would meet the people there and discuss with those who are already spiritually minded, those who have a spiritual background, um, the, the truths of the gospel. Remember, the gospel is for the Jew first and then for the Gentile. And so in an effort not to have Titus be any kind of stumbling block, he took and, and had him, or Timothy, took and had him. Circumcised. Because it's, for they all knew that his father was a Greek uh, and has their thoughts and feelings about it. Yeah. Just to be on the safe side. Well, isn't it kind of like, you know, whatever goes against caution? Not for salvation, yeah. but you know, so we didn't offend them. Yeah. You know. 
And that same passage, Romans 14, says whatever is not of faith is sin is talking about um, having a, a love and care for the, the weaker brethren, uh, right. 1 Corinthians so 8 and 9. And so he knew it wasn't for salvation. Yeah. But so why was Titus different in Galatians chapter 2? Because he wasn't Jewish. Yeah. So he, he wouldn't have had that benefit. expected of him. To, and he wouldn't be able to go into the temple anyway. And there was also that pressure from the Judaizers saying this is required for salvation. And so they obviously didn't want to do it because it's not necessary for salvation. Yeah. And so while it's women always wearing a dress or a head covering or whatever, some other things, but it's just not a big deal. Yeah. You know? So those things that, that aren't a big deal that are audiophora, they're secondary issues. Yeah. Paul is willing to um, I don't want to say cave, but yeah. he, he's willing to be the loving yeah, brother, yeah, so he doesn't offend. But he's not willing to give them the the microphone, so to speak, and say, okay, well, you guys get to dictate, uh, especially soteriology, salvation. He wasn't going to let them say, this is required for salvation. Right. And so that's where he drew his line. And that's why uh, Titus and, and Timothy really end up on two separate sides of the circumcision issue when it comes to Paul and what he was willing to do for for his ministry. Other thoughts? I feel that uh, if he would have let he had circumcised Titus, it would have been a stumbling block for the rest of the Greeks. Yeah. There have been many of them who have not became Christians because of that physical requirement. Yeah. It could have kept many of them from accepting and then people think, well, I have to do that if I want to accept Christ. And it has a skewed kind of view. And then you just start adding more things. More yeah. words. You know? Uh-huh. And then you open the door and add one, then you start adding more. So it becomes salvation plus words. Yeah. One, one interesting thing that's kind of related, not just to this section, but really to the whole chapter, um, is baptism and infant baptism. Our Presbyterian brothers, who who are brothers, they um, they're believers in Christ, but they would take and they would baptize an infant baby, saying that they are part of a covenant, and they would point back to the Old Testament and say, well, in the Old Testament, the the little babies they would be baptized, and if somebody, uh, an outsider, a Greek, so to speak, would come in uh, to Judaism and embrace Judaism, then they would have to be baptized or circumcised rather as an adult, and they would posit that baptism is now the sign of the new covenant and so the the infants would be baptized under the new covenant um and any adult who comes in from outside of the the covenant would have to be baptized as well but i think titus not being circumcised um is one of the the inconsistencies in in that view All right, um, and that will tie in later because uh, we'll see that Lydia and then also the jailer, when they're baptized, their household is is baptized along with them, and so Presbyterians would say, well, they were baptized as part of that covenant to show that they um, were part of that covenant under their, the in the case of the jailer under the dad or um, Lydia under under her purview, so to speak. This chapter is not about baptism, so I'm not sure why I'm going there.
<laughs> it's it's semi-related, so it's kind of interesting. All right. Um, let's look at verse four. It says now while they that is Paul, Silas, and now Timothy, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem to observe them. So let's look back here at chapter 15 real quick. And can somebody read verses 19 and 20, please? This is uh, James's judgment, his final judgment. 19 and 20? Yeah. 15. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make difficult the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food, polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. All right, so that was his judgment. And then, will somebody else read verses 22 and 23 and see what they were to do about it? And please the apostles and elders all right so they were to send them a letter and what cities were they to send the letters to Yeah, so they sent Paul and Barnabas out, but remember, they, they stuck around there for a little bit. Um, glance down to verse 35, it says, But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. So they, they hung out for a little bit. And remember, that was before the dispute over Mark. So it was some time before they, they actually went out. So they had this letter that was sent out to Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, um, but yet... Paul down here seems like some time has passed, and he's now going through um, Derby and, and Lystra, and he's telling them of this decree. So it seems like that decree went out to to some areas, and they had that letter sent out, but obviously that word hadn't spread quite as well as they had hoped. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy now are here and they're passing through these cities and they're delivering the news of these decrees and letting people know about the Jerusalem Council and the, the conclusions that they came to. And how did they respond? What was the result of them going out and, and sharing this with the, the cities? All right, there it is. All right, so it was a, a positive response. They they didn't fight back. They they didn't have any any qualms with it. In fact, they were strengthened and encouraged. And look at the it mentions two things in verse five. What's the uh, the importance of the order that those things are are mentioned? Two things in verse five. Why does the order matter? All right. So they weren't just strengthened in in faith, like um, 
in their their belief or their um, their trust necessarily, but they were strengthened in the faith, which is speaking of the gospel and the truth. So they were taught and they they grew and they developed in the Lord, just as they had set out to do. They wanted to go out and they wanted to make these converts into disciples. And so they were going back through these same cities. They were making disciples. They were pouring into them so that they could learn and develop. And that was what was happening. They grew in the faith. And then after that, they began to increase in number daily. And so I think it's important to recognize they increase in number afterwards. Yes, sure. I think probably before they're struggling with do we have to do what the Jews say we have to do? And all that. And that kind of a peace, and then they could go forward. Yeah. Now yeah, remember, this is the, the early church, and just think about how confusing that must have been. Um, realizing, okay, well, there there's this Jesus guy I heard about. I mean, I didn't I didn't see him, but they told me, you know, he. He lived and he did all these miracles and he died and they said he rose again. Um, this must be the Messiah that we heard about. But then they still have all these these Old Testament ties and these roots. And then you have other people coming in and saying, no, you have to be circumcised. And so they're trying to straighten everything out in their mind. Um, all this doctrine, all this uh, soteriology, the doctrine of salvation, which is vitally important. Um, I can imagine there were a bunch of people who were restless over this and confused. And then Paul and Silas show up and they say, no, we, we met together and again, we had we had the Holy Spirit with us because we had these different accounts from Peter and then James got up and he gave this definitive answer and you don't have to be circumcised. That's that's the old covenant. We're under the new covenant. Um, we have life in Christ alone. And so, yeah, that must have been an extreme relief. And then um, having that, that extra knowledge and strengthening or yeah, being strengthened in the faith, that led to, again, more explosion of the church. Other thoughts? I think kind of just to relate to that, anytime you're raised in a different religion and then you get saved, it used to be easy to start learning the truth. Huh. We've been so indoctrinated with something else for so long. You know, and it takes yeah. some time to read through what's really true and, and what's not. And even as I witness to people, I even sometimes will witness to someone who knows nothing. Oh, and something, somebody who's yeah. already <laughs> believed something and has been raised that way from a child. Yeah. You know, and even when they get saved, it's very confusing to relearn. Because it takes time. Yeah. And it can get... Even though that looked my husband, he was raised all the gas, and when he got saved, sometimes he'd say things. I said, no, 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 that's, that's not in the Bible. You know, that's what yeah. you were taught as a child. But it sticks. You know, and but confuses he was, you. his whole life he was raised that way. You know, so it takes time to learn the truth and not get confused. I'm yeah. sure it was very confusing for them, too. That's the way their whole culture was. Yeah. I- often think back to a, a time in school where we had an evangelist come and he made the comparison. He said, well, we're just selling shoes to people who don't have any shoes. And we're, we're going out and we're preaching the gospel to people. Uh, and I remember thinking, being from Utah, no, we're trying to get somebody who's sold on Nikes to wear our Adidas, you know. 
um, they already have shoes and they're sold out to this one specific brand of shoes and we want them to change these other shoes. Well, it's different. And when you've been wearing that shoes for, for yeah. years. For your yeah. whole life and your parents and your grandparents. And yeah. It's confusing to relearn something. I've met Latter-day Saints who have been believers for a, a decade or so, but they're still they don't have all that doctrine straightened out and they get sad when they learn there is no mother God. And they're like, oh wow, I, I didn't realize that. Um, it's, it's a seemingly small doctrine, but it's something that you know doesn't get washed out right away. Or they realize, oh man, I'm not, like family isn't forever in the sense that I was told. Um, but Jesus said that we're going to be like the angels. We're neither going to be married nor given a marriage. And that's completely different from what they've been told. And then you can imagine it could take years and years and years to work out all the little nuances of false doctrine that you're you're indoctrinated in, you, you grew up in. So. Well, I, was, I was astonished that I heard that uh, Satan wasn't the brother of Jesus. Yeah. I mean, I was brought up on that. We little lad. How long did it take after you came to faith? Oh, it was just last week. <laughs> it's not immediate though, right? Um, there, there's stuff that, that holds on. In fact, actually, it was, uh, I became a Christian in 2010, and uh, that time, <clears throat> I'm sorry, 20, 2006, sorry, I'm taking from uh, and just being discipled by Lee Whitworth for uh, all that time, about a year. It was some of those things like that that he had told me that. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. These things were true. That was only back in 2006. Yeah, and a lot of people don't have the benefit of having somebody like Lee sit down and disciple him. And again, looking back here, can you imagine having Paul and Silas come and hearing from them, like, okay, well, you're an apostle. You saw Jesus on the road. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll believe that over what these other Judaizers are telling me. Must have been refreshing, reassuring. All right, let's look at verses six through ten. Will somebody read that for us, please? Acts sixteen six through ten. All right, Jerry. The past of the Barbarian and the Galatian region haven't been forbidden by the Holy Spirit. The word of Asia. And after they came to Mysa, uh, they were trying to get to go into Melinda, uh, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by, they came down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. The man from Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision immediately, he sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. All right. Lots of hard cities I gave you in that passage, sorry. <laughs> now I realize why everybody was hesitant to read. <laughs> we'll, we'll give you that excuse anyway. 
All right, so um, verse 6. What, what happens in verse 6? They're looking to go somewhere. They're wanting to, to go to Asia Minor, Minor, but what happened? All right, the Holy Spirit says forbids them, right? Um, that's a, a strong word, to, to forbid them, to, to hinder them, not to let them go. It's the same word that Jesus used when he's talking to the disciples and he said, don't forbid the children to come to me. Don't hinder them from, from coming to me. Or when the disciples come up to him and they say, hey, we saw some other guys casting out demons in your name. And he says, well, so what? Stop. Don't, don't hinder them. Don't forbid them. If they're not against me, then they're for me. Um, it's a strong word. The Holy Spirit forbade them from going to these other cities. And we don't have details as to what that looks like or why he did that. Um, but obviously he didn't want them going to, to Asia, to Asia Minor, this region they're looking to go to right then. And we see that again down in verse 7. Um, what's different about verse 7 in the, the NASB that you read, Jerry, or anybody else? Verse 6, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. And in verse 7, the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. What did you say? Mine just says, Spirit of Jesus. Alright, yeah. Is that ESV? New King James. Alright, New King James and ESV and NIV, I think, just say Spirit. Um, yeah, NIV said they tried to enter the but the Spirit of Jesus would not okay. allow them. So apparently they tried to enter. I guess that's confusing me. They tried to enter, but yeah, they're getting ready to go into this other city. So it seems like every time they, they get ready to go into this city, they're wanting to get into Asia, the Holy Spirit stops them. Um, and there's the um, the textual variant there in verse 7. Not all the, the manuscripts say Spirit of Jesus. The Alexandrian doesn't say Spirit of Jesus, so it doesn't include that. Um, but Either way, even if it did, it's still talking about the Holy Spirit. And for whatever reason, they're hitting this wall, and the Holy Spirit's not permitting them to go into these Asian cities. Is there any, gives us any indication of how you were doing that? Just thought I read one place where it said that it may have thought it was a sickness that Paul had gotten about that time. You know, that yeah, we could. Him because he was sick and couldn't go further. I don't know. We could speculate, but yeah, I don't know how safe that is. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that we're talking about an apostle too, though. So um, he had different kind of access to God than, than what you and I have. So um, not until verse nine. Yeah, yeah. So rather than going to these different cities, they kind of weasel through and they make their way to to Europe, and that's where they come across Lydia in verse eleven, following. So. Um, that's the best understanding that we have is that um, the Lord wanted them to, to meet up with Lydia and to go into Europe rather than Asia Minor. Minor. <laughs> Just wasn't in, in his time. Yeah, write that down. Add it to the list. There we go. Um, what else do we see in, in those verses 6 through 10? It does talk about a vision later on. What do we see about that vision? Yeah, 
come come here, come to Macedonia, right? And if we go home tonight and we go to sleep and we get a vision from somebody that we should go somewhere else, why should we take it differently from how Paul takes it here and listens to this man and actually goes to Macedonia? Why should we not do that if we go home and have a vision tonight? All right, Costco pizza, attribute it to that. Why would you attribute it to Costco rather than the Holy Spirit? Until something else happens and I'm still not unpacked. So surely, that's all I believe. There have been any apostles appointed since. Yeah. And so he was Paul the Apostle, right? Um, that's what set, sets him apart from us. Aside from Costco Pizza, um, and, and even seeking the Lord. Seeking the Lord is, is good, and he will. Um, he will speak to us through the wisdom of the body and through his word, but we are to be looking for direct revelation like um, Paul received in a vision. That's something that was unique to that time, and he was an apostle, and we're not, so we shouldn't be looking for that kind of insight or input um, in the way that, that Paul did when he went to Macedonia. Interesting that, you know, we don't know why God did what he did, but that region that God didn't want to go to was in including Ephesus and a couple others. I have a bunch of names that were later opened up to Paul and Duncan. But he obviously had on willing to go because there was a, foot, a door open to Europe, which God wanted Paul to seize and go in that direction. Yeah. Which allowed the, the gospel to penetrate to Europe, and then when he came back later, he picked up the, these other cities, which he modern day Turkey. Well, even like I want to get the the shipwreck. You know, he says you're not going to survive, and I'm going to give you life. He was willing to. That was like me. Yeah. And then he got off the ship and he got bit by a snake and he just shook it off. No big deal, right? Sure. God does that not maybe the same way, but there are missionaries sometimes that time to go to a certain country and could be passport, could be visa, could be health, it could be a lot of things, and then they're redirected to someplace else. And and it's in God's hands and God directs, you know, to. Yeah. And then, like you said, it makes sense somewhat as far as, like, Paul, we know he was sick. And that would be just like, God, to do something like that, to just put him off during that time. And, and while that was happening, the vision of the Lord, the man in Macedonia, I'm not sure that could be very easy. Yeah. Yeah, we don't want to say that God doesn't work today, right? We're, we're not deists. We don't believe that he just created us and then left, <clears throat> or that he created mankind and that he was involved up until the time of the apostles, and now he's not personally involved in our lives. We still believe that, that God is imminent, that he is personal, and he's involved in our lives. 
just not in the same way. We shouldn't be looking for, for visions or dreams or direct revelation from God. If we had direct revelation from God today, that it would be on par with the Word of God, the Bible. And it should be added to the Bible because when God speaks, it doesn't matter if He's speaking to us through this Word or through you know a, a vision or somebody else. If Joseph said, God spoke to me and told me whatever, if that's truly God, then that's the Anustash, right? That's God-breathed. But I don't believe that he, he speaks that way to us anymore. Hebrews says that he did that in, in the days past, but in these last days he's spoken to us through his son, through Jesus. That's the, the kind of revelation that that we have today. But like you mentioned, Shard, he's still... Um, Ephesians 1.11 says that having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. So everything that happens happens in accordance with the will of God. So we can look at... Um, situations and circumstances and know that God is behind those things even when we can't quite make sense of it or can't quite understand it um, we know that God is the one who is pulling the strings He kept pressing on. He knew that he he was an apostle to the Gentiles, that God had sent him to preach. And when God closed the door and closed another door and closed another door, instead of hanging it up and saying, okay, well, I guess I'm just going to go home and eat some shellfish because I can now, right? Uh, he decided, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep pushing because I've been sent for a purpose. I have a, a ministry. I'm an ambassador, and I need to go out and preach. And so he just needed to find out where and when and follow the, the leading and the direction of the Holy Spirit. And later on, he has even less revelation, it would seem. Um, in 1 Corinthians 12, when he has a thorn in the flesh and he prays and it's not taken from him, um, he tells Timothy, well, take a little bit of wine for your stomach. Like, I, I don't know, just <laughs> try to try to get better, buddy. Um, but he still, he doesn't stop, right? He's still pressing forward, even though things are, are rough, they're not going his way necessarily. And um, these things he's trying to do, these cities that they want to go to they want to go to asia minor these aren't bad things necessarily um and yet he he's stopped from being able to go forward and and do so but he he continues to press forward other thoughts or questions i don't know that we're going to be able to dip into this next section we'll grab that next week but anything else on first 10 verses Remember when we looked at Timothy, why was he 
put in Ephesus? What was his ministry to to the Ephesian church? He was a pastor, and specifically, what did Paul say? I left you in Ephesus for this reason, for this purpose. Well, yeah, that too. Let me go back there. It says, yeah, As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. Um, and yeah, to, to strengthen the church and to ward off these false teachers and to um, build up the body so that they are warned against the, the false doctrines of these other people. And so that kind of ties in with what we were talking about with the, the circumcision and um, everything that, that kind of comes along with being told um, that you need to add something to the gospel and um, the, the mess that false doctrine can, can leave in your life. And so I think we can take that and, and learn from that and try to do the same ourselves to teach against false doctrine and help people who uh, maybe are, are confused to be able to decipher truth from error. No, that was after. It was like 10 years after. So they went on this second missionary journey, and that's where he met up with um, with Paul, and he started to go with Paul. Uh, one more thing that we just skipped over back in Acts 16. What big transition takes place in verse 10? Yeah, Luke is there. And how do we know that Luke is there? Yeah. So up until this point, he'd been talking about Paul and, and Silas as if he's not there. And then verse 10, all of a sudden, it says, Immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So I was just talking with Jeremy a little while ago, joking with him, saying, well, maybe Paul had Luke circumcise Timothy, so he wouldn't have to do it. Um, and maybe that's why he jumped on board with him there. Yeah, he was a doctor. Yeah. Uh, certainly he was more experienced with that than Paul would have been, but who knows? For whatever reason, um, Paul joins them here, and they, they follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, and they head into Macedonia. All right, let's go ahead and pray. God, we thank you once again for the truth of your word. And thank you for how it is uh, all interconnected and how it works together and <clears throat> the fact that we can see how you work in Acts and in First Timothy and Ephesians and Galatians and how it is consistent, um, how there's um, no errors, no no difficulties that, that we can't reconcile between those. And you are the, the center of it all. You are the, the one central theme of, of the Bible. You are the Word incarnate. And God, we thank you for, for your sacrifice. Thank you for your truth. Pray that you would help us to proclaim it boldly and uh, without error, that we would uh, properly divide your Word and be able to, uh, to share it with others in a, a way that is honoring to you. God, I pray for the kids and that you would be um, just working in their hearts and helping them to really internalize the things that they learned tonight and that you would continue to grow this church and work in this community and in and through our, our lives. God, we thank you again. Amen. Amen.